0: Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It Thou Come.
1: He asked me to to come back. They were facing a huge crisis and the hospital uh, was about to collapse because of the high number of infections and unfortunately because many uh, nurses and doctors got the infection. In today's episode, when young
0: resident doctor Daniela Petralia was called back into her local hospital where she had trained in northern Italy to help her colleagues deal with the influx of seriously ill COVID-19 patients, she had no idea of the depth and scale of the devastation still to unfold. Daniela Petralia is still in her final year of study and training to be a specialist doctor. She is still to graduate, yet her country and her region desperately needed all trained medical workers on hand. This is what she experienced on the COVID-19 frontline in northern Italy in just these past two months. Dr Daniela Petralia, thank you so much for joining me at what must be early morning for you, and I appreciate it. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Thank you. I wanted to start with what is your job, your work right at this moment?
1: I'm a resident in general practice, but at the moment I'm working in a hospital in my town, a very small hospital, about 100 beds because of this epidemic.
0: Right. So your small hospital is just outside of Piacenza, which is about 70 kilometres southeast of Milan in northern Italy. Yes. So you are actually still a student doctor. You are still studying for your specialty as a general practitioner in Australia. That's what we call it. In Italy, I think you call it family
1: medicine. Yes. Yes, exactly. Family medicine. And I'm a third year resident.
0: So that means that's your third and final year of your specialty training. So when were you supposed to graduate?
1: Uh, I'm supposed to graduate in December, so about six months from now.
0: In the meantime, you've been thrust into this crisis. Tell me what happened just a few months ago.
1: It was mid-March and in italy we were getting closer to the peak of infections and i was uh, practicing as a general general practitioner as a part of my traineeship the hospital where i used to work asked me to come back to to help uh, at the hospital and it has been such a huge change of perspective from a general practice to such a big
0: health crisis in hospital. Yeah, so you were asked by, as a trainee doctor, you were asked to come out of the community essentially and go back into your local hospital at Castel San Giovanni near Piacenza to help with the unfolding emergency. What did your former chief in the hospital tell you when he asked you to come back in and work?
1: He asked me to, to come back before they were facing a huge crisis and the hospital uh, was about to collapse because of the high number of infections and unfortunately because many uh, nurses and doctors got the infection. And so it was a big problem managing such ill patients with uh, so few doctors and nurses, so they they needed help at that moment.
0: Yeah. So were other final year trainee doctors also called upon to come in? Uh, Yes, a few. But you still weren't completely finally qualified, were you?
1: Uh, Well, yes. Uh, I used to to work in hospital internal medicine units before my speciality but actually I wasn't trained to face uh, severe respiratory failure and uh, I never managed uh, non-invasive ventilation before. So I had to learn this all. Can you paint us a picture
0: of what you were actually confronted with at the hospital? You said it was close to collapse.
1: Yes, it was close to collapse. We had 120 beds and uh, usually we have about a hundred beds. We had a small ICU with about six beds, but to face such uh, an epidemic, we need to double our beds in ICU. Uh, Respiratory ICU uh, has been created in a few days from the operating theater of the hospital.
0: Wow. So you were still inside the building. You weren't actually in a tent out in the car park or the field or anything like that, but you had to suddenly produce these makeshift ICU intensive care units.
1: Yes, yes, exactly.
0: What did it feel like to have so many more patients coming in?
1: (sighs) This was a challenge, a real challenge, because we couldn't imagine such high numbers of the infection, actually. So we need to find out how to manage it in in a few days, really.
0: Daniela, can you describe that emergency that you were facing when you first went into the hospital?
1: Uh, Yes, what uh, first shocked me, was uh, the noise into the hospital, the noise of the ventilators and the noise of people crying in their ventilators' helmets, uh, which uh, was uh, heartbreaking, really.
0: So what, they're wearing helmets with the ventilators basically over their heads and faces. They're crying and anxious into their helmets and visors.
1: Yes. Uh, one big problem with those helmets is that the, the patient cannot hear you outside, uh-huh. even if you're just close to, to, to him. And so it's a problem even for uh, phone calls with uh, uh, families because they cannot hear each other because of the, the noise of the ventilator. What really shocked me is all the sufferings we faced. All the suffering of the patients. Of the patients, of their families, because of course they, they couldn't see they, their loved ones for weeks and weeks. And we tried to uh, update families every day. We really felt so much suffering from the patients, but really from the families also. So the suffering
0: of the patients and the families really got to you, obviously, as a young doctor.
1: Yes. Uh, I, I think this uh, has been huge impact on my education as a young doctor because I couldn't imagine to, to face so much uh, uh, fear and uh, anxiety of my patients.
0: Wow. So give us a picture of, was it chaotic? Were you getting an influx of patients? Were you trying to get beds in? You said more beds than you already had, doubling the size. Give us a picture of the general atmosphere there then.
1: The atmosphere was really chaotic, anxious and uh, also frustrating somehow because you try your best as a healthcare professional, we didn't have any official guidelines about the treatment mm. for these forms of respiratory failure. And so it was so much frustrating, really, and sad, because, of course, our mission is to help people healing and getting better. And if you don't know your, your enemy, this, new illness, it's really frustrating because you don't know how to help.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. So were you getting any information from the Chinese doctors who had been fighting this? Was there international help?
1: Yes, we had uh, an exchange of information worldwide to find the, uh, a cure. And in my hospital, we tried to use heparin.
0: Heparin, that's a drug?
1: Yes, exactly. And this was a big success in our hospital. And we tried to spread this information, but of course it's not an official guideline for the scientific community. It's just a suggestion, I mean.
0: So you tried heparin and your senior doctors tried heparin in the Castel San Giovanni Hospital and you say it did have success, it helped COVID patients?
1: Yes, it helped. Yes, it it looked like uh, those patients have an excess of coagulation and we tried to, to treat this part of the illness with heparin and actually, some patients got better
0: and it was a success. We've certainly heard a lot in Australia. We have an enormous number of links with Italy and we've heard a lot about how drastic the situation really has been there. So really, for all of March and April and now into late May, you and all your fantastic colleagues, doctors, nurses, health workers in Italy. You've been struggling to contain the spread of infection. You've been trying to care for seriously ill people. You've been dealing with a lot of people dying and you've been trying not to catch it yourselves.
1: Yes. Unfortunately, many nurses and doctors got the infection. About 40% of my colleagues got the, the infection.
0: Wow. Just two weeks ago, when you and I spoke, you said half of your medical colleagues had caught COVID-19 and were trying to recover. So what that means, just a handful of you doctors were trying to look after how many patients when the other half were sick?
1: We had about uh, 34 beds, 34 patients.
0: And how many doctors were there who weren't sick and not nurses?
1: Uh, Four, four doctors. So four of
0: you were trying to look after thirty four patients of seriously ill people?
1: Yes. Daytime, night time in the weekend, so it took working seven days a week for about ten to twelve hours a day. We were really exhausted. When
0: you first went in, can we go back to that time in in March, can you talk a bit about how the hospital was set up? You, you said that you needed to double the intensive care beds and it's still only a small hospital. But was everything a scramble? Were they trying to get new beds in from other places? Were you being sent some resources, say, from Milan, which is your closest big city, but was also so badly affected?
1: Yes. uh, Unfortunately, the situation in Milan was uh, worse than the now situation. Uh, But we got help from uh, southern Italy. So we have many uh, nurses and a few doctors coming from southern Italy. Yeah. And how many makeshift or
0: temporary parts of the hospital were set up to just deal with COVID patients? Because... As I understand it, your hospital was the first one in Italy to be definitely designated a COVID 19 hospital. Is that right?
1: Yes, it's right. The first year in Italy, the COVID 19 dedicated hospital. So we have 120 beds, and uh, since the very first days of March, we had 120 patients with COVID-19.
0: So it's been full the whole time since early March. Yes. Were there more patients that really needed to come in? Therefore, were the senior doctors having to make these dreadful decisions about who gets care and who doesn't get care?
1: Unfortunately, at the very beginning of the epidemic, senior doctors had to take terrible Fortunately, in our hospital, doubling the beds in the ICU, there was enough room for patients that needed to be intubated, but we needed to learn how to manage with uh, ventilators, I mean, non-invasive ventilators, so the step before uh, intubation, because there wasn't enough room to uh, manage those critical health patients in ICU, so we needed to save beds in ICUs for the most critically healed patients, so patients that needed to be intubated. Mm.
0: So in effect, you and your senior colleagues were having to make choices about who lives and who dies.
1: Unfortunately, uh, at the very beginning of the epidemic, yes, uh, this the decision has been taken.
0: So, Daniela, say during March and even into April, roughly what percentage of your hospital's patients were not making it? What percentage were dying?
1: Uh, I would say um, 20%. Mm.
0: I mean, I suppose you were only seeing people who were very sick. Yes. But were you also seeing a number of younger people coming in who were very sick?
1: Yes. We had many patients in their 40s and 50s, so very young young patients. Uh, I still remember a, a woman that was 44 years old and uh, she was intubated because of the COVID nineteen, which was really critical. So, were people
0: coming into your hospital certainly early on who hadn't been tested? As I understand it, it was very hard to be tested in Northern Italy.
1: Yes, unfortunately, well, we didn't have enough tests. Piacenza had uh, about four thousand people uh, infected. But probably uh, the real number was uh, 40,000 people, probably. Uh, But we couldn't test uh, all these people because we didn't have enough tests.
0: So, Daniela, just so that I understand that, you said in in Piacenza, which is one small to medium-sized city in northern Italy, just one city, you had 4,000 official Infected cases, but really you're saying the true number was more like 40,000?
1: Yes, probably. Uh, Piacenza, not town, but the whole province is about uh, 200,000 people. But that's a
0: huge percentage of the population. Yes. Wow. So really, we also hear more broadly that the figures in Italy, even now, could have been undercounted the number of people who've died from COVID-19 because there are lots of unexplained deaths because there wasn't the testing.
1: Yes, the numbers uh, have been underestimated uh, because we didn't test enough Patients, yes, of course, there were many that de- unexplained deaths, but also many people with mild symptoms that haven't been tested because in- fortunately it was just mild syndrome
0: hm mm. but you're saying even the numbers of deaths have been underestimated because compared to the number of deaths over the last five years, there are so many more this year that are unexplained.
1: Yes, yes, exactly.
0: So through all these weeks, did you and your colleagues have enough masks? Did you have enough personal protective equipment or was there a shortage of that too?
1: Fortunately, we had enough protective equipment, yes. We didn't have this problem that I know other areas in northern Italy uh, had to, to deal with. So how
0: did your hospital
1: cope? I mean, did it cope? Was the health system coping? Uh, Yes, actually, it was coping, yes. Yes, it was trying to to, to help, yes. Through
0: these, I mean, we've got to remember it's only, what, eight or ten weeks, the last eight or ten weeks that this has been happening, this crisis, this incredible sort of devastating crisis in northern Italy. But how were you and your colleagues coping
1: through all this? Uh, We were trying to face all this uh, anxiety and frustration, sharing some few happy moments together, talking much about the emotional impact that this crisis uh, had uh, on us and trying to to share uh, with each other uh, all the um, emotions, I mean. Uh, we we had to to face, and this was very important. And we also tried to to share some happy moments, a few happy moments, celebrating uh, birthdays, for example, into the hospital to try to to cheer up somehow mm. and to help facing uh, this uh, incredible situation. Were you able, for instance, to go home and
0: sleep in your own bed? Did you have to stay at the hospital? Could you see your own family or partners through all this?
1: Uh, Yes. uh, I came back home uh, every day, uh, so I kept sleeping in my 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 own bed, but I decided not to see my my family especially my my parents and uh my sister uh because I was worried uh, about uh, mm. possibly infecting uh, them. So I choose not to to see them, but just uh, talk to them and uh, see them on video calls. Yeah. But uh, I choose not to see them, to go to to visit them.
0: Yeah. So in a sense, you've had to be isolated too. You've had to go through this a lot virtually by yourself, but with the help and support of your colleagues.
1: Yes, exactly. And, uh, of course, and the support of my partner. But, yes, it was... uh, Form of isolation indeed
0: yeah, so you were your partner and you lived together
1: yeah we, we decided to, to stay together uh in the, the same uh, in the same house, just trying to to be very careful uh and cleaning all the surfaces in the house and so on
0: yeah, did you have an extraordinary routine every time you came back from the hospital?
1: Yes, yeah, so very rigorous I mean, very thorough. Exactly, because I was much worried about possibly taking home the infection and I was very worried about this. So I kept cleaning the house my whole spare time.
0: Oh, gosh. And you've stayed well through all this, Daniela? Yes, fortunately I stayed well, yes. Looking back, and you probably haven't even really had time to think straight, but what was the hardest part of your work in this pandemic in these past few months?
1: Uh, The worst part was trying to help people facing fear and anxiety. In this health crisis, there was the need for for me, I mean, to develop uh, technical skills like learning how to deal with a severe respiratory failure or how to manage ventilators. Yes, but also um, the worst part of it was uh, learning how to help people face uh, anxiety and fear and loneliness. You know, I guess they turn to you when they have
0: no family. You were the only people who could be near them. They turn to you in
1: the face of death. Yes, unfortunately, yes, because our hospital actually has a a few tablets that uh, allows patients to have video calls with their families, especially for those patients that are not um, able to use uh, smartphones and so on. But uh, yes, we were the the, the only ones, uh, doctors and nurses, near the patients for weeks
0: and weeks and weeks. I did hear that in Piacenza and other towns and cities, people were unable to get tested, even if they were ill. So uh, many weren't able to be admitted to hospital. They just had to stay indoors
1: completely and get well at home. Uh, Yes. Um, Many many people were managed at home. Our uh, health system organised a few mobile units, ultrasound scanning, looking at the lungs of the patients and try to treat them properly at home because, of course, we we didn't have enough room in hospitals. I mean, the rest of the world has just looked
0: on horrified. And as I said before, Australia has so many close links with Italy. There's a lot of Italian Australians who are here. Have you been able to think about why COVID got so out of control in Italy so quickly?
1: I think that uh, uh, a big problem was uh, that at the very beginning of the epidemic, people underestimated it. Maybe because we, we didn't know much about this virus and this illness, but people really underestimated it.
0: You mean the authorities and the federal governments and the local governments underestimated it?
1: Yes, the governments and also people. When the virus started to spread, In our province, people started to be much more worried, of course, and so they started to behave properly and staying at home and uh, respecting all the new limitations. Mm. But at the very beginning of this epidemic, really people underestimated the importance of this, uh, this illness. Do you know whether
0: Northern Italy has a lot of commercial links with Wuhan in China? Why was Italy hit so early?
1: Uh, well, yes, I think we have many commercial links to to, to China. Yes, because uh, Northern Italy has um, many tradings uh, and factories, and so I think uh, it, it could have. Played a part in spreading the epidemic. Did the authorities, for instance,
0: ban flights from China? Did they stop flights coming in at any
1: stage? Uh, yes, not at the very beginning, but at some at some stage, yes, they 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 did. Is it the case that
0: Italian health authorities didn't really start testing properly till? the deaths started happening already. Whereas in Australia, we started testing before we had deaths.
1: Yes, I think this played a a major part in it because we didn't start testing at the beginning of it. And even when we started testing people, uh, yes, it was too late, but also we tested too few people.
0: Yeah, too few people. So your testing was not rigorous enough and widespread enough. How do you and your colleagues in the medical fraternity feel about the way the national and the regional governments handled this, particularly in February, March and April?
1: Well, we actually feel very uh, frustrated about it. Uh, Because, of course, we are in uh, first line facing this illness and it makes us very frustrated and uh, angry to see how the the government has tried to to manage it. A big part in um, trying to stop the spreading of this epidemic would have been played by the government. What else should they have done? Uh, testing uh, more people, for sure, even people with mild symptoms, which they didn't, actually they didn't do. Testing more people and starting
0: earlier. Daniela, how would you describe what the past two and a half months, eight, ten weeks in the hospital have been like?
1: The very first weeks were very chaotic.
0: Chaotic,
1: Yeah and full of fear and uh, sadness and frustrations. Uh, now we are facing uh, a lowering number of critical ill patients. So we're starting to, to, to see the delight. So we're trying to be positive now at the moment. Uh, and at the 2nd of May, the, the government decided for an open up from the lockdown. It's about two, two weeks since that, and fortunately for now, the, the numbers of the, the infection are lowering, uh, so we are a little bit more positive, even in the hospital, of course. But you're still getting, what,
0: over 400, 500, 600 new infected cases a day in Italy?
1: Yes, unfortunately, yes, in Italy. Uh, In our area, we have about uh, uh, 10 new cases uh, per day at the moment.
0: How do you feel about opening up again?
1: I'm a little bit uh, scared about it and worried about it. Really, um, and what worries me most is also summer, because of course, uh, in Italy, we're used to go to the beach, uh, um, the mountains, So many people gathering all together. And this is a little bit, uh, worrying. Too many crowds. Yes, too many crowds.
0: How do you feel as you look back on these last two months about your work as a doctor? Does it make you feel differently about medicine?
1: Uh, Yes, I'm more doubtful. Yep, doubtful. Doubtful, yes. I have more doubts about medicine. I realize that we don't have any certain knowledge about some topics. And I feel more vulnerable as a doctor.
0: We really have an enormous gratitude to you and and all the health workers in every country. Thank you. What would you like to see change in Italy's health system and its preparation for pandemics? Do you think it will be better prepared if even a second wave hits?
1: Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I truly hope so. Yes, th- th- this was um, a-, a big deal. And uh, I truly hope we will be prepared if a second wave of this uh, epidemic will spread. I hope not, but uh, I truly, I truly hope so. We certainly learned much from this situation, and I'm talking about technical skills, but also about how to organize into the hospital and uh, into the community also. Have you been
0: able to reflect on what you've been through these past few months?
1: Uh, yes, I'm trying to, to to reflect about it, which is quite hard, actually, because I don't have much spare time and much of the time I'm really, really exhausted. But sometimes I just feel the need of stopping for a moment and thinking about it all mm. uh, because it has been
0: so much to go through. Are you staying in the hospital for the next little while, work-wise? Do they want you to stay on to still cope with what's unfolding?
1: Uh, Just for a few weeks, actually. And then I need to to, to go back to uh, community medicine, start again with my job, which is general practice.
0: Wow, back to the community and the small practice.
1: Exactly, yes.
0: <laughs> and, and hopefully, you know, Italy does see its way and you are on the road to recovery now. Dr. Daniela Petralia, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking this time when you've got your precious time off and out of the hospital. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed Build It, They'll Come. Let me know via Twitter, at Helen underscore Dally. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know. Share it around your networks and I'd love you to give it a star rating to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turned their light bulb idea into an empire.